1: So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, the Bad, and the Hungi on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornes, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Fred Moreland. And Fred, we haven't been canceled yet. This is a banner day for us. Hey, uh,
2: every day above ground is a good day, and I guess that includes uh, not having people mad at you on the internet. Um, fortunately for I'm everyone, okay. someone's taken the position of uh, main character of Twitter like on a permanent basis. So. Oh yeah,
1: his name is Elon Musk, and yes. we'll we'll see how that goes. Hey, I am a I'm a sports reporter. People are always mad at me, so I I don't know what that feels like anymore to not have anyone mad at you on the internet. But it's a it's a it's a different kind of mad nowadays.
2: Very much so. Um,
1: but let's um, let's talk about. AEW and the beat the big story. We're going to kind of take a little bit of a different look at it because it's been beaten to death. We all know, and it's been reported by both Dave Meltzer and Fightful that William Regal is leaving AEW for WWE. And I don't necessarily think it's the worst to look for And we were kind of talking about this a little bit pre-show. I, the one thing that worries me about um, Regal leaving AEW for WWE is something that kind of went a little bit untalked about when Cody left. Um, I'm worried about WWE continuing to get like more inside information from AEW and uh, operationally um, how creative works. And I, I don't necessarily know how much these things will matter, but anytime you get information from your biggest competition, it's an object negative for you as a company. Now, AEW probably knows almost everything there is to know about WWE at this point with how many people have come in so many different capacities from Stanford, but not many people have gone from AEW to WWE. And I think that can be, that can be a big negative for AEW. Now you are one of the more um, savvy minds that I talk to in the wrestling space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want your opinion on this because I think, that angle itself is fascinating because we know Regal. He's been around the block quite a few times. He is wrestler for WCW. He's wrestled for WWE. He worked backstage and in creative with WWE. And now after spending almost a full calendar year in AW, he's going back to work for Triple H.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that he and uh, Triple H have been, uh, friendly with each other for quite a while now. Uh, I actually, you know, if you remember way, way back when Triple H was not even a single H, he was uh, Rising in WCW. I, I think they paired him with Regal some in that early stage of his career, and uh, that formed a bond between the two, and you know, ever whenever Triple H is in a position of power, he likes to have Regal with him. And, um, Regal, uh, you know, was released because of uh, Vince decisions, I guess. And uh, then he went to AEW for a little bit, and now he's going back to WWE. I, I, it is reportedly because he's being offered another front office position, and uh, he has expressed his interest in taking that. Um, I assume that part of the deal is going to be that he can't be on TV. Uh, for the length of his AWD or maybe a shorter period, but a not insignificant one. I I don't have a hot take on this. Like, I, I feel like I'm the worst podcast host because I'm not very good at, like, manufacturing hot takes to spit out. It's unfortunate for AW, He's gone. I don't think it's going to really do any meaningful damage as this, as a move by itself. Um the question is, is this like a pre-existing deal that was, that was agreed upon when he came into the company and uh, was like, Hey, listen, I'd love to come work for you. However, if I ever get a chance to be in power with, you know, triple H again, I would like to be able to do that. Um, and maybe that was a pre-negotiated thing, but maybe alternatively it's, you know, he's not happy there, which would be a shame. Um, you know, I I have some qualms about the storyline and how they handled his exit with regards to, like, MJF kind of turning and then definitely turning again immediately after. I think that's just kind of, I don't know, I muddied the waters a little too much for my tastes in a very WWE-esque segment. Um yeah, I mean, it was a short run, but it was impactful. He formed the top babyface group and uh, kind of gave a new direction to top guys like Moxley and Danielson. It uh, wasn't exactly a redefining of them, but it was a uh, definite difference. Um, so, I don't know. What's your take on it, I guess? Like, I, I'm not sure of a real like interesting way for me to approach this is just kind of like, well, he's gone. And uh, I, I I do think it's a loss, but I don't think it's like a devastating one.
1: I don't think it's a devastating one either. And uh, I I'm with you. And I feel like a lot of other people where I think the, the clause in the contract assuming it was that three year deal um, without an opt out, because I, I know John Moxley when he signed his initial deal had like an opt out after a year, if he didn't like the creative direction of the company or if he felt like he was going to be too sports entertainment and not professional wrestling, so he could bail it after that point. Um, I'm guessing William Regal did not have an opt-out or a clause built in. Um, I I still remember uh, Lou Holtz was the coach of the Gophers for a few years in the 80s, and he had a clause in his contract that he could leave at any time for one school and one school only, and that was if Notre Dame called well they did and he ended up coaching the fighting irish for quite a while before he ended up retiring bob baby took over i could see a situation because of the the reverence and respect that william Regal has for paul Levesque that maybe he had something written into his contract that if he came into power that he would be able to uh, he would be allowed to get out of his contract and go back i my guess is that Tony Khan will allow him to go back, but he can't appear on TV as he alluded to. And as other people in this space have talked about as well. And I wonder if he's offering the same deal to talent where like we know Alistair Black has asked out Andrade has with, I don't know if he officially asked out or if that was reported, but man, did he allude to it heavily on social media that he wanted out? And I could see a situation where, oh, Tony Khan's sure you can get out, but you can't appear on TV. Like, okay, that's not exactly unfair. I'm you and I had an agreement and you want out and I'll let still let you wrestle, but you can't appear on major wrestling programming. That's not an unfair clause. It may feel unfair to the talent, but as talent, if you sign a long-term deal and you want out after like a couple months, that's on you. And that's not on the promoter. It's the promoter gets to dictate the terms that way. Um, and, and, I I don't know what kind of value William Regal would have to WWE programming other than yelling war games. They, they don't use people like that in programming anymore. And Tony Khan has really tried to utilize managers in multiple facets. Like you had Tully Blanchard, um, Jake the Snake. Uh, now we have Stokely Hathaway, Prince Nana, Smart Mark Sterling. Vicky Guerrero. Yeah. yeah well debate how we- good that is uh
2: <laughs> but yeah there's a, a lot of i mean aw is very uh manager rich i think that if he does go on screen for uh, wwe it'll pre- be pretty obviously in a gm role probably in nxt i assume but you know hard to say exactly uh, and he seemed to do pretty well in that. Like I never, I, I did not watch NXT regularly outside of the takeovers, even during the, uh, the high water marks. Um, but he was always, he always seemed pretty good in that role, even if it was pretty limited in terms of like what exactly he
1: was doing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting to see kind of how this is all played out, but let's talk about how they wrote him off TV. And let's let's assume that everything that's being reported is factual, and that he is 100% gone from AEW. What did you think of, of how they wrote him off? As far as not, I thought it was good that they he got knocked out and he got cart like carried off in an ambulance like that. As far as a write off from TV, I, think, I thought that was tremendous. But I think we need to look at it from the perspective of MJF because this is about advancing the company and where this is going to go and how it's affecting the people that are still there and. I think it works with the motif of MJF's character that he uses people to get what he wants. He's been very, very consistent with that, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But using William Regal and manipulating him to get the world title both fits the character, but it also feels like it could be damaging uh, to MJF as far as a long term perspective because he's he's being he's not like. I don't necessarily mind cheating to win a title, but you're talking about arguably the most important wrestler to your company as far as a long-term vision and his first title win. He's just, he was a scummy dirt bag and then he completely flippy dude on the guy and then turned on him just 10 days later. Where do you sit on that Fred? Because it's from a, from a long-term broad perspective it could be viewed as both a positive and a negative
2: yeah i think um i think it's a really interesting question because i know dave Meltzer pushed really hard for mgf to go you know not obviously a white meat baby face you know kissing babies and hugging fans but to go as the top baby face in the company uh, I assume with kind of a, a tinge to him, like The Rock in the late '90s, where his his face turns are always "I'm still an asshole, but I'm an asshole to other assholes, and therefore you love me for that." And I think that's kind of how they positioned MJF prior to the pay per view uh, with the firm, and then we ended up with uh, MJF winning by cheating, um, and then MJF turning by blindsiding an old man, and. I mean, it's pretty clear at this point that he's a heel. I don't know what top bait. I mean, it's pretty clear they're going to set up Brian Danielson uh, for that, but they need to heat up. Um, if this Ricky Starks program is going to last a while, which I don't think it is. I think it's going to end after this week. Um, then I think you need to build up Starks more. And I think if, if again, he they don't do anything by accident when it comes to a promo. So assuming they does have a feud with Eddie Kingston after Danielson, uh, they need Eddie to be doing stuff. They can't just have Eddie walk in after four months cold and be like, hey, I'm going to beat your ass and have it be as accessible. Now, granted, I think Eddie Kingston can pretty easily heat up any program he's in with one promo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a matter of, um, I don't know, it's kind of a curious decision because I feel like AEW is very heel heavy at this point in time on top.
1: Hold uh, on. As- you think they're heel heavy? I, but I, I I I don't mean to interrupt, but I want I want to hear yeah, you sure. kind of explain that because you know, we've been talking in this space about the fact that they don't have a lot of top heels, yeah. Top deals, yeah and now you're the, talking about that they're heel heavy. Like, are, I, I are don't you know. Maybe kind of, I've like, got maybe I've got. Are you Chris extrapolating too. Chris Jericho and MJF as being too heel heavy? Because outside um, of that, what is there?
2: It's all the Jericho. Maybe maybe I. I'm kind of at a. I'm coming into this show at like a down point with AEW right now in terms of what they've been doing. So maybe I'm just letting my grumpiness get the best of me. Um, but I I do think like that the the TV has been very heel heavy. Um, at least maybe I, that's a better way to put that and walk that back and make me sound less like a maniac. Um, but I I do think that like the TV has had a real hard heel tint with uh, the segments keeping Jericho and MJF strong and I feel like um, that it pr- might have been beneficial to the programming to have MJF go babyface to provide a counterpoint to that. Uh, now, you are correct that I do think the potential opponents for MJF would have been weaker than Kingston, et cetera, Danielson, et cetera, uh, but I also think like his potential opponents would have at least had more momentum going with them. Because not only do you have Jericho's Group and MJF, you also had the firm running uh, roughshod for a while. Um, And I feel like that, you know, there's different options there that could have been worked out um, a little easier. Because, you know, again, if you look at where a month ago the firm was positioned versus where Ricky Starks was positioned, who had kind of disappeared. I feel like AEW was doing a better job of building the firm at that point in time. Um, so I guess that's where my take's coming in.
1: Okay. And, and you know what? That's a well-reasoned um, argument. I, you I, said I agree if, with you. If you line up the depth
2: chart, the face side is definitely stronger at this point in time.
1: Yeah. And like, it's, it's really hard to argue that it's... And, and what I mean by that is like this fan base loves this company and they Mm -hmm. love most of the wrestlers. It's hard to create a genuine heel when the fan base wants to like everything that you do. That's true. And I think it's, it's going, it's in something that I like to call an unintended consequence and unintended consequences themselves are very interesting in the space of everything, you know, um, that the laws of physics for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And it kind of translates here where when you have the action of the fan base, liking everything, well, it's going to be a lot harder to create unlikable characters. And I think that's just um, a natural ebb and flow of this business. And I'm very intrigued to see how they continue to build up heels. Cause Eddie Kingston was a heel for a long time. The fans still wanted to like him. Yeah. And then he, he did the turn at the end of the bar explosive barbar death match to say save Mox, And we all know that that was kind of a farce, but it wasn't on Kingston Yeah, that they, they don't know how to blow stuff up um with their pyro or something went wrong. Who, who knows? But th- this fan base wants to like things and it's going to be a very fun challenge to watch Tony Khan navigate that because creating a genuine heel, hell Chris Jericho is a shit bag. And they sing Judas every single time he comes out. How they, there are, There's going to be levels, and maybe this is a company where a true face heel dynamic can exist, and they just do the best that they can. And I think that might be the biggest challenge Tony Khan has outside of continuing to build an audience, which we will talk about when we t- discuss the ratings for the shows this week. Well,
2: one thing that they've consistently gone to in AEW for heels is the... Uh, I don't like EAW gimmick, which has been done multiple times at this point in time. Uh, I think Jeff Jarrett's kind of doing that. It was definitely the point of, um, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. The M- MMA coach, uh, Dan Lambert, uh, that was his whole gimmick, and like various other people have done it at, to some extent. Um, and I think like that kind of is a sim- is a symptom of this problem. Now the thing with MGF is I think that they obviously wanted the regal attack to be like the big heel heat the the source of the heat on him, um setting up the presumed Danielson feud uh starting next week the i i just don't know that it's going to work because he's so much a jerk <laughs> and uh i don't know like it just may be like uh mjf's so good at being a heel that he it's like the Ric Flair symptom of the uh '80s and you know '90s, where most of the time Flair wanted to be a heel, eventually the crowd turned and babyface against his will because he was so entertaining. And I think like that's kind of what's happening with MJF.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's going to be fun to watch this company. And, and I know you kind of said you're down. I'm kind of indifferent at at this point. Like, there's still a lot of great stuff, but there's stuff that's. It, it feels like we're reverting back to Tony Khan's original booking for the company where he's still not a hundred percent sure his he's a hundred percent sure with the direction, but he, he has, he is still confused on what direction he wants to take to get there. And I, it's seeing him kind of figure out how to book on the fly with some of the stuff is it. Should we be concerned about that, Fred? Um, and It feels like he knows, hey, I want to get from point A to point B. But it's like, hey, I'm in Minnesota. You're in Kentucky. You can take a lot of different routes to get there. You can take a plane. You can take a train. You can uh, take a car. Hell, you could walk or bike if you wanted to. Like, there's, And within those, you can take different interstates. You can take different state highways to get there. And it feels like he doesn't necessarily have a clear path. And he keeps trying different things on the route and to me as as he's, I think he's becoming an experienced booker by this point, because we're talking about his booking three and a half years. He's already um, successfully completed two long-term story arcs, but where are we with how cohesive his booking is as a, on a consistent level? Because I'm starting to get a little worried that he's not all the way there. And I wonder if he's ever going to truly get there, because I'm still seeing so many massive inconsistencies on a week to week basis.
2: Yeah, he's, um, he, what, one of his biggest flaws is uh, Joe Lanza calls it the, uh, I don't know if he has an exact term for it, but basically it's where he does not fill in all the gaps on his, uh, booking. So like there's a, uh, it's like Tony Khan has his own, uh, ideas of what this you know the connective tissue of some of these storylines are but he fails to get that across on TV and so like occasionally he'll just have like you know maybe Excalibur say one line to try to sum it all up but you know that's not really ideal when you have these hours of TV and can, it's better to show than tell and i do feel like that's sometimes a weakness with the AW booking with Tony Khan um, now, mind you, uh, you know giving him too much hassle over the first year or so of the company up to the infamous dark order beatdown segment um, is kind of a mixed bag because it wasn't just him in the booking room with all the power. It was actually he actually consolidated the booking power after all of that, um, but. Yeah, I do think this is kind of a consistent issue, is uh maybe not connecting all the dots. Like he'll he'll present the dots, but he won't necessarily connect them all. And I do think that's a fall for the TV.
1: I, I think it is too, and it's it's watching him still struggle with this in real time, I, I think is is definitely a major cause for concern. And but I don't want to keep talking about negatives. So, Fred, let's go to another negative, and that is the show ratings for this week. Uh the rough week, but I don't necessarily think it's completely awful. Um, And let's break it all down. Dynamite, um, the rating was down. It was only down about 10,000 viewers, which that's within the margins. That's whatever. But a 0.26 in the demo when last year was, I believe, a 0.31. Um, it's the year low. And we would have expected this last week with it being the day before Thanksgiving. And that's the biggest drinking day of the year for bars and restaurants. Uh, But it was the week after, and I think that's where it was the biggest surprise. But I will say, I believe Dynamite was either third or fifth on the day. So you're not, you're not exactly seeing a 0.26 where they're like 10th. Yeah. And I think that in itself is, gives at least a little bit of hope that it's not necessarily, Hey, um, it's, it's a big show issue. Less people just watch TV this night. And Dynamite got hit extremely hard. Um, I, I want to chalk this up as a one-week thing as far as demo. I want to see what kind of trend this is. We know that December is not a heavy-viewed month. Um, people are going to Christmas parties. There's all kinds of Christmas stuff happening, um, especially like in a place like Minnesota. There's a Holodazzle Parade. My wife and I spent the other night uh, driving around, looking at Christmas lights. There's so many little nuanced things here, Fred, that um, are reasons why people don't go out. Um, they're sorry, they go out and they don't sit at home and watch TV. And I don't have the DVR numbers at my disposal, but I would guess they're relatively high. Um, what are you taking from this? Um, we, I, you know, kind of pair that rampage was even more atrocious: 361,0.08 in the 18-49 demo, 60th on cable. That was a record low. I think the first time AEW's ever been below a .10 in the demo. Like, these are not good, but how, how quickly are we hitting the panic button for AEW Dynamite?
2: I always say don't freak out about one week of ratings because that can just be a blip. It can just be something weird with Nielsen with how they measure their data, everything. Even in this case, I would probably advise a little... More, um, let's wait and see what happens next with the ratings. But I do think that having these two back to back in the same week is more concerning than if you had just like a normal dynamite rating and then this putrid rampage one, um, or vice versa. They these aren't good numbers there's there's no way you can conceivably spin it and even if you're like you know even if you're bringing up how it's december and there's all these different uh, obligations people have that may cause them to not watch the show live the fact is that you know that would also have been the case last year um so you know the fact that it's down year over year and that rampage is at an all-time low um you know that's very bad obviously I'm still going to wait to see what the next couple weeks are because I think that there's, like, the obsession with the week-to-week ratings uh, is a very Eric Bischoff mindset uh, of just, like, trying to react to one number in a vacuum. I think Dynamite's been pretty good recently. I think Rampage has been acceptable in terms of ratings. Um, keeping in mind the Rampage is a 10pm Friday night show uh, but these are bad numbers and if they continue to be at these levels that would be pretty damn concerning I think for AEW uh, not like panic they're going to get cancelled level bad but like they need to figure out what they're doing wrong and fix it um, so that's just kind of my take on them um yeah I mean it's not like uh immediately panic but if you're not looking at these and like doing a self-evaluation then that's a mistake I think
1: yeah I'm I'm I want more data and once we understand and get more data I think we can make a more well-reasoned um take about this because they've been relatively consistent now obviously um the year of punk that they were seeing like twenty to thirty percent growth year over year, and this is a new company, so there's mm-hmm. going to be fluctuation in the data. It's not like, like even WWE. Like obviously, we've seen a lot of ratings talk uh, with that company, and but they have nearly thirty years of RAW under their belt, twenty five years of SmackDown. So we're we're talking well established brands that have been in the marketplace for so long that it's, it's harder to see true like crazy ebbs and flows because for the most part, they're going to stay relatively staying. I mean, still going to look like an EJ, EKG monitor going up and down at least a little bit, but you're not going to see 20% drops. You're not going to see like, oh, one week did 2.5 million, the next week did 1.5. You're not going to see things like that. But with AW and considering that their viewership is a little bit less, you're going to see... More stark percentage drops, and we saw it—an uh, 18% drop in 18 to 49 week over week. That is something that's it's easier to achieve because of those factors that I mentioned, and it's also something where you need to take it seriously because it could it could mean something. Um, punk obviously spiked numbers 20 to 30%, but now we're going up against punk numbers, and. I don't necessarily want to jump the gun and say CM Punk was the cause of all of it. I think Punk was the catalyst of getting some people back into wrestling. And this company was obviously the catalyst for everything he was talking about in WWE. But this is still a company that's very good. It's a cohesive brand. They put on really, really good matches on TV. And I want to see some consistent data. I want to see more. Um, because in order to create a well-reasoned take, you have to have uh, an explicit amount of data. Yeah. Uh,
2: and, and the problem with uh, trying to read ratings in real time is that it's really a lag time analysis that needs to be done. It needs to be done, you know, even a few months after the fact. Um At best, you know, and and when it comes to comparing ratings, I would, you know, be spending more time comparing the ratings to, I mean, year over year is good because it follows the general trends of like what happens in December with TV viewing. But I I think right now with AEW, what is more valuable is comparing it like six months ago uh, to what is going on right now, because that allows you to see, you know, a little less of the CM Punk effect, like the initial coming in and boosting all the ratings so much. Um, and I, th- I, I think in general like they were pretty steady for a few months and then they got this dynamite number that's why I think that the dynamite number is the l- less concerning of the two uh, the rampage number to me is very shocking um, and I think is a symptom of how rampage has been used for months and months now
1: yeah I am I'm very worried about um, the whatchamacallit um I'm very worried about Rampage, and I I, I wonder if it's rehabbable at this point. Um, we're about a year in. Uh,
2: it it would take a lot of work because it is a total B show. I I don't even watch it until Monday, um, most weeks. Like it just is completely inessential. Um, this was a very five out of ten show this past week, and that's kind of the norm these days, is to just not have anything of real value like major like can't miss stuff on the show Mm -hmm. like it's nice to have it and we can segue into my i I could rant about this last episode of rampage uh right now if you want but it was just a real let's do it like okay sure it was it was a nothing show completely nothing and if you want people to tune in at 10 p.m on a friday night you need to give them more than this shit because mm -hmm. what this show was was Darby Allen winning a semi-competitive match. Uh, you had Orange Cassidy winning a uh, cluster of a no-doubt match. You had a uh, Athena squash, and I mean, I think she's very entertaining in squashes. But I mean, it's a squash, no one's going to tune in for that um, in most ninety-nine percent of circumstances, and it's not going to happen with Athena. Um, and you had uh, like just a middle-of-the-road tag team match. Uh, Like, every single one, there wasn't any real stakes in them. There was nothing, I think, to draw people in beyond, hey, you can see Darby and Orange Cassidy wrestle. Um, And, I mean, if you just put the matches on paper, like, no one's going to really be moved by a Darby Allen Cole Carter match that was set up by an angle three weeks ago with no follow-up. Uh, no one's really going to be moved by QT Marshall in a main event spot, despite I like QT Marshall or Marshall, whatever. I, I don't. I'm not burying him, but he is what he is, which is a low level heel that is basically there to get a little bit of heat and then job to someone much higher on the card. And that's a fine role for him. He, you know, but the downside of that is it's not going to be exciting at any point in time when he gets booked in a match um at best you can like get annoyed by them and then someone kills them and that can be a entertaining part of a show but that's not going to increase ratings or put butts in seats
1: Um, you know let's talk about the put butts in seats because uh, this show like it had no star power and we can have the conversation of orange cassidy as a star or uh darby allen is a star um are either one of them proven ratings movers at this point um, uh, I, I, think I genuinely Orange, ha- don't know.
2: I think Orange Cassidy at least has a history of moving ratings uh, to some extent. I don't know that like he's the top of the list for them or anything,
1: but is he going to be the draw for an entire program? Like, Oh, you get to see an Orange Cassidy match.
2: Not when it's built like this, not when it's at this level. I, I think there's been some prior Orange Cassidy matches, especially on Rampage that have done relatively well uh, where he's been defending this all Atlantic championship. Um, like the three way with, uh, uh, was it uh, Rouge and uh, uh, Ten? Yeah, that was a few weeks ago. Um, I think that was a hotter match. Uh, you had the random uh, Shibata match, um, but you know, you know, even um, it happened on a dynamite. But the Jake Hager match was uh, more meaningful. I felt like, but yeah, I mean. You know, it's this is what it is, man. Um, it's it's 100% a B-show, and it's like when they would put, you know, Ric Flair or Vader or whoever on a WCW Saturday night in 1994 when, or 95 after the debut of Nitro. And, uh, I mean, you could have a Hogan match on that, and that would move numbers some, but it's not going to move numbers as much on a Nitro, especially when it's just like, hey, we're going to have Hogan beat up... Uh, Uh, The gambler, or whatever low-level WCW guy you would choose from that era for the equivalents. Um, Orange Cassidy is obviously nowhere near the kind of draw that Hogan ever was, and he never will be, but he has some drawing power in 2022, and to just slot him up against uh, QT Marshall in a mostly a comedy uh, lumberjack match, I don't think it's really going to shift the tide against what's been happening with rampage for weeks and weeks now.
1: Yeah. It's that it's going to need a major rehab project to fix this. And yeah.
2: And the longer it goes on, the deader it is, is, is mm-hmm. the thing. And like, I, I don't know that it can really get much worse than this. Like, I feel like we, this is like damn near a bottom of the barrel kind of number for rampage. Like this is what the hardcore AW audience is, And, I could see it going down a little more, but I don't think it's going to drop too much further than like a 0.06
1: or something. So um, here's my main question for you. Um, there are a lot of different things you need to fix rampage. Um, obviously they don't have the full depth of their roster yet. Some of the, some of the guys yeah, but like at this point, at, I mean, you've known this for
2: months and if you don't have like the full depth of your roster, then you should be building new stars and you could have used a stronger rampage to do that, but they haven't. Mm-hmm. And uh, not doing that, like, cause at least early on, like it was a big part of Jade Cargill becoming a draw and it was, uh, it, it could have been used for other stuff uh, to get other people over. Cause it's an hour of cable television. And yeah. instead it's just kind of a stationary bike show. You know, the, the pedals are going, but the wheels ain't going nowhere.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, I kind of bring that up Fred, because I wanted to ask like, I I think Tony Khan is not willing to do it, and I think we've the proof is in the pudding. He has not been willing to put his biggest stars on Rampage in lieu of taking them off Dynamite. Would you be willing to do that? You um, have to. That, like you gotta. I'm really surprised and honestly disappointed that he hasn't been willing to do that. Now we have seen Moxley perform on live Rampages and. I think the live Rampage aspect gives you an opportunity to utilize both because if you're doing a taped show, it's it, like you don't want to necessarily have two John Moxley matches. Like that's, that's not great for the wrestler on um, the live crowd. You're not giving them any kind of variety. It's okay. I can understand that, but if they're going to see a John Moxley match live, why not just put it on Rampage and try and, you know, make it a real drawing show. I think that there's, you can build new stars on Dynamite. And quite frankly, I would argue Dynamite's the better place to build stars. It is. It's, you're it 100% it's not working is. on rampage. You're not getting enough people watching. Build up some of your younger talent, people you want to give a push. Obviously, they're trying it with Ethan Page right now, and, and we can talk until we're blue in the face whether that's a good or bad idea. And we right. already have. And if mm-hmm. it's going to work, which let's be honest, it probably isn't. But they're making an effort, and they're doing it on Dynamite. They are pushing him on. The the flagship show to try and make him a thing and develop another heel. But why not use dynamite to help build those stars? And you can still have star power. You know, make maybe make Friday night the Chris Jericho night because he is a big draw. He is a ratings mover. And especially because he's doing the Ocho gimmick trying to Uh, They're using him to elevate Ring of Honor to a place that, quite frankly, has never been before. And whether that will work or not, we'll find out here when his run is done. But they're trying to make Ring of Honor a more of a national brand, a drawing brand that's above an indie level. And I think the pay-per-view sales from the first two shows have shown that they have potential to do that, especially because they're using AEW talent. Now, why not just move him over to Rampage and try and use Jericho, who's been a proven draw to help elevate that show? And I think the the stubbornness or the lack of caring, whatever the answer is for why Tony Khan hasn't been willing to do some of these things. I think that when you find that answer out is going to tell you a lot about the potential future growth of this company and the willingness to be flexible and change on the fly. Now he's done some of that already, especially when you talk about the the fallout from brawl out where he had to set up the tournament and he had to uh, give the trio's titles to death triangle. Like, he's been able to adjust, but it's this kind of adjustment that I'm talking about the adjustment where, Hey, it's things aren't going well. You don't have a major emergency, but you need to fix it. And he hasn't been willing to do that. And I want to see him try something drastic to make things better. And it's not there right now. And like, why? You're running a company that is, one, growing, two, your partner loves. And the extra hour of TV that they gave you, you just let sink below 500,000 viewers and below 0.1 in the demo. Like, I don't care how good of a relationship you have. Putting out those kind of numbers in a relationship, especially when you're going to be eligible for a new deal here soon, that's objectively atrocious. And yeah, you need to try. That's the and biggest.
2: That's the biggest problem of it is that you know a strong rampage would be a, a great argument, probably their strongest argument, not just for more money but also for more TV time if that's what you want. And um, and we, when you let rampage go down to this level of you know, as you said, under half a million and under a point one demo. Uh, that really hurts those arguments. Um, and this has, been a, this has been a discussion that's been going on for months uh, all over the wrestling sphere about how Rampage is, has been traditionally very weak. And I'm not saying that every week has been booked like this, but this past Rampage is an exemplar of what Rampage is as a TV show for half a year now. And you can point to you know, very, you know, to the exceptions to the rule. Where you have Shibata come back for a return match, or you have uh, John Moxley wrestle, um, you know, in a trios match with the Black Bull Combat Club, or face Dante Martin, uh, which was very cool back in June. But
1: that's back in June. That's been six months, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're not exactly talking builds for these shows. Like Shibata, yeah. He, here's the thing with Shibata: love that he returned. You're you're giving America a true Shibata match on a two-day build. Like, we had people in our office slack that wanted to go see the show, but they couldn't make it work on two days' notice. And yeah. they live relatively close to Atlantic City. And why aren't we trying to build Rampage? Why isn't there an effort to try and make this show something? Because there was, at first, the first match on Rampage, Christian Cage won the Impact World title from Kenny Omega. Yeah, like, that was, and that was a massive a- deal
2: and then That's the second
1: establishing a show.
2: And then I think it was the second week with CM Punk's return. And now we've got Cole Carter and we've got QT Marshall in key spots. Um you know, it's Rampage would have been a fine spot to build young talent 6 months ago. And it kind of kind of was, but it hasn't been really. It hasn't been pushed hard enough and it hasn't been pushed as a tr- strong show for doing that. And now we're at the point where it can't do that, at least not as effectively as you would want it to. And frankly, at this point, you know, it's going to take throwing major matches on it and building the major matches on there. Like, you can't just be like, well, Orange Cassidy's on the show. That's a major match. That's not enough at this point in time. You need to completely revitalize it. But what they've done is it's like every third show up to NXT in the history of WWE it's like when they had main event come in and they had a couple big matches early on and then it quickly became just uh, you know a C show you had um, superstars come back on WGN like 15 years ago or whatever it was and they had for a while major stars and major matches on that and then it quickly became a C show mm-hmm. and that's what this is is a C show and you can you can put on it's not even a B show anymore. It, it's sunk lower than that. Um, and Tony Khan, when he gets asked about this in interviews, he gets super defensive and he's like, "It is not a B show." But I mean, if it's not a B show, but it's drawing B show numbers, then that's even worse. But this isn't a B show, and and even if, even if you don't want to commit to building matches over a couple weeks, which kind of is self-defeating but let's say that most circumstances you don't you could even set up the match on the live dynamite and do, then do it on the rampage with your major stars and in TV land that's two days a build where at least you have the you know they, they, they've proven that or they at least they think that for a rampage announcing matches like in the 24 hours before the show is a effective way of building it of building the ratings for the show and the viewership of the show. Doing that with rampage is a, uh, would be a way to, I think effectively build up rampage. If like you had announced one of these damn young, you know, elite uh, death triangle matches for rampage, which they didn't, they did zero of them on that. Uh, They're, they're doing zero of them on rampage, which I think speaks Volumes about where they see Rampage in the pecking order and how they use it. You have to put stuff that matters on Rampage, and they're not. And so Rampage is not a show that matters, and they've done this to themselves.
1: They really have, and it, it. There is a path to getting it to matter again, and it's showing that you care about outside of the first few weeks. Like, put meaningful matches on there. Like, hey, I don't think. Anybody would complain about, oh, why would you put a Death Triangle Elite match on Rampage? I'm still bitter about the fact that my birthday is this Wednesday, and I don't get to see a Death Triangle Elite match because they're having a break. Like, put the break last week. Give me the match because I am more important than everybody else. And I, I'm I'm self-aware. I know I'm not more important than everybody else. But it's there's so many little nuances that they could be doing. And it's hard to really, like, we get pissed about it because we cover the show and we love the product and we love professional wrestling so we want it to be as good as it can be but at the same time even with all the frustrations fred there's little to no doubt that this this product is a, a successful business and they're doing so many things right it's it, for me it comes down to this you mentioned that tony khan is saying as making excuses and he's like he does. He co says it's not a B show, but the it's either the outwards like lying and making excuses, and he knows what he's doing, or he's really deluded himself into thinking this is actually an A show. I it's think it's not.
2: It's not. I, I will say that John Blue in the face, and I watch it every week, and it's just a complete B show at this point in time for what twenty twenty two wrestling is. And Tony Khan isn't behind the times. He's with the times. It's not a case of, a, of an old school booker, you know, thinking that this is what a B-show is structured as. I just think he does not want to admit it, but he's not taking steps to fix it. And, you know, it's a matter of the rubber needs to meet the road. And you either need to beef up these Rampage shows so that the ratings are stronger, or else you're just going to be stuck with it. And that's it. You know, it's just a matter of there is a problem, either you address it or you don't. And if you don't address it, it's not going to get better.
1: Yeah, it's and uh, we can talk about the sword blue in the face, but like they gotta put some star power on dynamite, and I don't want to hear another excuse that Adam Cole's out with a concussion, Kyle O'Reilly's out with a broken neck. Like those things stink. And yeah, I hope but, that they but, heal fully, but you have the stars, you can put them on rampage. No and also,
2: season. if you don't have the stars with these guys out, you know, it's not a good thing, but it can be a good thing in that it gives you an opportunity to build new stars. Mm-hmm. And instead, they aren't. Okay. I, I feel like that's been the, the biggest weakness of the company for a few months now.
1: Build the stars that... in Dynamite, put real already established stars on Rampage and rehab the brand
2: it's going to take time now it's i mean it, you you aren't going to be able to just say oh we're moving the uh, the elite death triangle fourth match to rampage this week and then watch it hit a million viewers mm-hmm. it's going to take consistent weeks of putting major matches and angles on rampage making it mean something and then uh watching the numbers go up progressively because that's how it works you you will now need to break the 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 feeling that this is a B show and that's going to take work and time and investment. And Mm -hmm. you might lose some viewers on dynamite, but I mean, if that's what you've got to do at this point.
1: Yeah, it it really is. Either you do or you don't. Yeah. Like this is a really good conversation and we will continue to talk more ratings, um, in, in this space because they continue to give us new data and new talking points. And it is a conversation that is worth continuing to have, but we need to move on here. Um, Uh, Let's talk about some other news that we need to talk about the show. Um, Andrade underwent surgery for a torn pack. He said he suffered it in the um, in the trios tag team tournament um, where they his team of Andrade Rush and Dragon Lee lost to the elite. Um, That kind of explains a lot as far as um, his absence. Um, Hopefully he gets better soon. Um, I I
2: will say I don't think he's out because of this injury. I think he's out because of, as I hit my desk, sorry everyone. Uh, I think he's out because of the uh, Sammy issue and the fallout from that. And I think that it's just time for him to get a surgery. Um, So I don't know if he's ever coming back to AEW. But I I don't think he's out because of this injury right now. He would not be able to be back because of this injury, but
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's continue on. Air Fox is all elite and he had a, a nice little match against Samoa Joe. And, um, I can't remember who mentioned it, but it, it might've been Joe Lanza. The fact that, uh, it was like two ships in the night passing, um, like two different eras of Gabe Sapolsky with, uh, Fox being a focal point of evolve. And then obviously Samoa Joe is a focal point of ring of honor. Um, when Sapolsky was booking, look, I think AR Fox is a great addition. I would love to see him in a trio with uh top flight and just uh, have them do flippy doos and be incredibly exciting. And that's what this trios division, like the idea and concept of it was meant for is um, units having just tremendous matches. They don't necessarily need the most cohesive storytelling. Um, obviously put add in storytelling for every match. That's awesome. But you can do major spot fest with six man tags and it's, it's not as big of a deal and I think that team, the concept of it and we already saw it once that's what ended up earning him the contract what would be an excellent addition to this brand of wrestling.
2: Yeah, I think he's going to be a good organizational depth. Um, I don't know I don't see him ever as like a major star, but you could definitely slot him as a uh, as part of a trio. I mean he's basically uh, Matt Sidell. Uh they're very similar to each other in my mind. And uh, you could use them both in uh, that kind of third man and trios that isn't really like a title contender, but could help build the other two members. And I think you could do that with top flight with either of these guys.
1: I 100% agree. I'm very excited to see how Air Fox is utilizing this company. A um, couple more things. FTR teamed with Ricky Steamboat for his return match and big time wrestling on November 27th. Um, I heard it was a lot less embarrassing than Ric Flair's final match.
2: Yeah, the fact that no one's, like, posting video of Steamboat nearly passing out in the middle of the match or anything is a positive. I, just with the medical considerations I have, I'm not a big fan of either of these guys working in 2022, but uh sounds like Steamboat uh, was much better off. So... Yeah, Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I know that there's people that will push back on me saying that, uh, but I just... Guy has had an aneurysm before. He's had his back issues. He is, I mean, he's what seventy two now or something. Like, I just don't think that people in their seventies should be wrestling. Sixty nine, I, I nice unless it's lucha. I mean, even lucha, I have real feelings about. I know it's much more common down there in Mexico and everything, but you know, I I love watching Sting wrestle, but every time he does, I there's a part of my brain that gets really nervous about it just because of his age and physical condition that's fair um
1: a couple more things stokely said to renee uh paquette's podcast that the firm was supposed to feud with cm punk before brawl out happened that could have been interesting
2: yeah i you know i i think that this is another uh downside of the whole brawl out thing is now the firm is just kind of a phantom limb of a stable that's just kind of hanging around and uh very much in uh, limbo, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they end up going. But right now it, uh, does not feel like a main event act and working with CM Punk, uh, maybe could have accomplished that, but I don't know. You know, we've lost that forever at a time
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, it, you know, it'll just be a question of what we do with them
1: next. Absolutely. Um, and then this one I found very interesting. Um, the original concept for the Blackpool combat club um, came from John Boxing Brian Danielson. And it was based around early nineties, all Japan with the BCC being jumbo Saruta's group and getting over the young guys by facing them on top. The way Baba got over Misawa, um, Kawada and Kobashi, the idea of having great singles tags and trios matches with the younger talent to help them rise to the top level, moving them from mid-level guys to top main event draws and legends. And, I still think that this can work and you can utilize that, but obviously this is, they've gotten Garcia and Uta um, up a little bit. They've gone up a peg in the pecking order of a W, but the, obviously the BCC has kind of veered away from this a little bit. And yeah, it's a this, little this, this isn't what happened. Yeah. This is not what happened.
2: Um, you can argue that that's a good thing or bad thing, but regardless, it is, you know, if this was the idea, this is from the wrestling observer newsletter. I didn't credit it that on the sheet and that's my fault. Um, for the most recent edition, edition. um, as I combine the words edition and issue. Um, yeah, I mean you know you can argue that it was to the benefit of the company that they were infused primarily with uh, the jericho appreciation society which largely outside of garcia consisted of made guys and 2.0 to an extent um but also that's just i mean that's not what they did and uh that's how wrestling history goes sometimes as you come up with an idea and then you immediately shift it to something else it would have been yeah. really cool to see them spend like six months just feuding with uh, the top flights and the, uh, you know, the Ricky Starks and the younger acts of the company. But, yeah.
1: It is what it is. Um, and we can still potentially see that happen, but we're going to need to see some um, evolving uh, from the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, let's break it out on this dynamite. We have spent a almost an hour talking about um, all kinds of different things with uh, this company and how it is continuing to evolve. But Dynamite itself, I thought was a pretty good show. Um, and it kicked off with John Moxley entering the ring, delivering a promo, talking about how he grew up 90 minutes from Indianapolis and wrestled there. Um, uh, he he kind of gave a true babyface promo saying, like, Nobody can outwork me, out hustle me, out wrestle me, out bleed me, or out sweat me. Um, says the uh, ring belongs to him. And there's not a man in the building that has the balls to come look me in the eyes and tell me anything different. And that's when Hangman Page makes his return after being injured uh, just over a month ago in a title match against uh, John Moxley. And the key line here was, You sure you want to do this, man, after what happened last time? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you not remember last time? And then they end up brawling. And then they have another segment later in the show where they're still brawling. I thought this was incredibly well done. Um, if you had forgotten, uh, why Moxley was or why page was out because I'll be honest, it didn't click with me initially like, Oh sweet. We're doing more hangman page and John Moxley, but I had forgotten that he had been knocked out. Excalibur did a great job of mentioning it um, within the flow of the segment. And it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel forced. It just felt natural. And I think that's one of the best things this company has is they tell you what's going on without one beating you over the head two making you feel like an idiot. Or three, a long convoluted way of telling you. It's just in the natural flow of commentary. And if you had forgotten, oh, there we go. It clicked with me the second X caliber said it, and I was right back in. And I thought it was very well done. And now we have an easy way for Moxley out of the title picture. Hangman Page, one of your top stars, also has something to do. And you can drag this on for a while because the these two, one, know how to do long-term storytelling, and two... They're two of your biggest stars. You can do a three-match series over the course of the next six months, and I don't think anybody would be complaining.
2: Yeah, I, I like this segment, but um, I like—I even like the, the fact they did a second segment with them brawling against each other even more, because I think like that kind of shook up the format of the show and made it feel a little more organic. Um, there was a lot of talk online this past week about how they did not properly mm-hmm. explain why Adam Page and John Moxley refuting and i just and it's coming from very high level guys like dave Meltzer, and it's just kind of like did you watch the show because i mean not only did excalibur explain it briefly but succinctly he got it over uh very quickly moxley directly alluded it to it in the promo with page face to face i don't know what else you need. If you just want to WWEfy everything in wrestling, you could have did a, done a video package, sure. But like, this was not a segment that needed a video package. The whole point of it was that Paige spontaneously came out to fight Moxley, um, and a video package would have detracted from that. It was uh, just very frustrating stuff. I from people that I feel like should have been more on the ball. Um, But I also feel like AEW discourse is very negative right now, you know, for some pretty decent reasons, which have led to some pretty silly reasons contributing to that now, too. And I think this was a very silly reason.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm excited to see where this goes and how they draw it out, because I hope that they end up not wrestling one on one until Revolution. But we're we're three months away from that. Um, right after this, we had, um, the American dragon, Brian Danielson versus the, uh, uh, the head of the committee to try and steal wrestler of the year votes. Uh, Dax Harwood, um, with cash Wheeler, a uh, second him. Look, this is a fine match. Um, fans chanted, this is awesome. And I absolutely hate that shit. Look, this was a good match. I gave it four stars. Um, nothing really tr- like special, like I'm just so sick of this, um, this vanity act of Dax Harwood just trying to earn Wrestle the Year votes. Like the the matches he's having are good; they're good little TV matches. We're never getting anything special with these one on one matches, and like, I, give these to Cash Wheeler. Like, let's see him get a singles match.
2: I, I agree that it's kind of silly that it's uh, gone very hard for Dax Harwood doing singles matches, especially as I think his momentum for the award has kind of petered out. And also, I don't know why you're booking for a an open attempt to get a Wrestler of the Year award from a independent newsletter that really, I mean, frankly, I mean, it's cool, but it's not like something that will change viewership or whatever for you. Um, I actually love this match a lot. I thought these two worked well together. Um, I, I think some of the discussion around it regarding how uh, Dax is very openly trying to get himself votes for awards is kind of very that's very cob esque behavior <laughs> it's lame it uh it makes him look like a dope um but i mean it doesn't change the fact that i love this match i thought this match was very entertaining and i think if you're if you want to be critical of this and specifically about dax harwood that's fine but if you want to be critical of this as it's bad to put on an awesome tv match with no Build, I think that you're wrong. I think that it's always good to have cool matches on your television shows because it makes people want to watch them. And, you know, if you, yes, you could have used someone else instead of Dax Harwood to have an awesome match with Brian Danielson, but it doesn't change the fact that. This was a cool match to me. I liked it a lot, and uh, it also where it was put in the program was important because it contributed later to the uh, the deal with William Regal, uh, with all the BCC members being occupied, with Yuta and Claudio being in Nashville, and with John Moxley being kicked out of the building for uh, wanting to fight too much. So,
1: I, I I'm not offended by it. I don't think it's a bad match. I just I want something different. I want. That's fair. That's fair. You want something different from Dax. Yeah, specifically, I, I I don't want to see Dax continuing to have these vanity singles matches. Why is Dax getting all of them? But why aren't why isn't Cash getting some? Why aren't we giving opportunities to guys who you could build up as single stars? I yeah. think there's there's opportunities that it is being missed because Dak Harwood wants to get wrestler of the year votes that he's not even going to win. Like, yep. I want to I, I see this company try and develop people. And it was something we were talking about with Rampage. This is a great spot to keep developing people. What happened? Like, Darius Martin. Darius Martin was out for a year with a torn ACL. So you know what they did? They put Dante Martin in a bunch of trios matches, a bunch of singles matches against better wrestlers. And you know what he did? He got significantly better and he got over. Yeah. Like, why, why are we putting half of a tag team in a non-canonical storyline? with top guys like these are just one-off matches like is this match going to lead to um, Brian Danielson teaming up with somebody in the Blackpool Combat Club to get an ROH title shot I don't think so and if it does I will I will take the L and I will admit I was wrong but we need to be using these spots to help build up other talent and it's being used for the Dax Hardwood Variety Hour like, the, Look, I, I, it's, it's I don't disagree for me.
2: I don't disagree with being frustrated by Dax Harwood because he is he can be very frustrating with uh all this stuff, but the fact of the matter is that they wanted to have a Brian Danielson rolling match to have an excuse for him to be in the traders room and they chose Dax Harwood for that match. Uh and I think it resulted in a very good match. You could have chose someone else and it probably would have been a similarly good match. Uh cuz AEW has a lot of very strong workers, but they chose Dax. Uh, Because there has been an undercurrent story of the year of Dax Harwood having all these, uh, well, having very good tag matches and then pretty good singles matches, generally speaking. Um, I feel like he finally had a great singles match here with Danielson, and uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I'm kind of repeating myself on that part of it now. But, you know, if you want to fold those two things into one, uh, that's fine with me, I guess, in this circumstance.
1: Yeah, I, I there's just so much more, so much meat still on the bone. And it's frustrating for me that we're not quite getting it. And that's why like, stuff that's like right. this just kind of bothers me. Um, after this match, we had a, a little bit of a weird uh, promo with um, Absolute Ricky Starks. It wasn't great, but um, I, I think it was important what he said. Um, he said he's entering himself into the Battle Royal that will take place um, this upcoming week. Uh, December 7th on dynamite for the dynamite diamond um, because he's coming for everything MJF has the spot, the title and the ring. And he says uh, that he is owed all of it. Um, I thought the content was important, but it was, yeah, it, it didn't resonate with me like a normal Ricky Starks promo. It wasn't his best work um, at all, but you know, it was it was fine. It set up other stuff, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, and th- right after this is when we had um, the cameras catching up with Hangman and Moxley, and they were still fighting backstage. A really good way to continue that. Um, right after we saw that, we had Renee Paquette live via satellite in Nashville with the JAS and Cleasignoli and Wheeler, Utah. Um, Claudio gives a fiery promo after some back and forth that he needs to be Jericho final battle and Yuta um, final battle, put your pure title on line, Garcia, Garcia says, okay. And I think this is going to be their final battle for some time. And I I'm very excited for both of those matches. Um, uh, this upcoming Saturday.
2: Yeah. I think that'll, uh, they'll both be very irritating matches.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's here's my question for you, Fred. Um, are you concerned at all that Final Battle really doesn't have a full card yet? Uh, I'm kind of annoyed that we've had so much ROH TV
2: or, or so much TV time devoted to the Ring of Honor side of things, and we've still ended up with a card that's being put together this week. It's not so much like the late announcements, it's that it doesn't feel like there's really been anything built for this pay-per-view, outside of Claudio Jericho, of course. Uh, but even that feels like kind of a a oh I guess we've been having these guys feud thing rather than a deliberate plan. Uh, I feel like this Ring of Honor card has been pretty poorly built in general, and uh, that's part of my consternation. Let's use that word uh, with uh, Tony Khan and the booking right now, uh, because Got it, it uh, it's actually the third match, but I, what I thought was the second match when I was watching Rampage for this card was just Juice Robinson doing a short pre-tape promo and being like, hey, I'm here, and I want to fight some Mojo. That's it. That's my 60 seconds. <laughs> and, like, for, for a debut segment with uh, someone that could be a pretty big name, like Juice Robinson, uh, it felt very flat, and uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's... I, I was hoping for more from this build, and we just aren't getting it. Um, yeah. But what we did get was uh, an advancement in the Samoa Joe Wardlow story. Um, we mentioned the Samoa Joe match against A. R. Fox, really, really good. Um, and uh, Samoa Joe cuts a promo after the show, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome you to a new and glorious era. I am the one true king of television. And then Wardlow appeared on the screen, uh, and he's coming for w- Wardlow's coming for what's his. And this is Wardlow's world, so we're gonna get this feud continuing. And I'm all for it. I think this is a great way to one keep Wardlow busy, two help bring him to another level because Samoa Joe one is a tremendous entering competitor with a different style that Wardlow hasn't necessarily worked with yet as far as like submissions, and Samoa Joe is still over as hell Uh, even though he's absolutely slowed down a step. It's still Samoa Joe, and you're still getting him in the ring, and that and he still
2: cuts damn good promos. I thought this was a very good promo. Um, Not like a promo of the year or anything, but it was a nice short TV promo
1: that was engaging, and I liked it. Mm -hmm. All right. Then we had the big to-do with MJF. William Regal walks walks down to the ring, introduces MJF. MJF cuts a long promo, kind of explained how he and Regal met behind closed doors, exchanged emails. um, That MJF mentions the firm and how he kind of respects them. Um, and how when they sh- smell blood in the water, hey, they attacked. I would have done the same thing. Um, but this is what the controversial part. He throws down the AEW uh, World Championship, um, and he said he promised you make changes around here, out with the old and in with the new. When I look at this title, I see that needs an upgrade. It's tacky, it's ugly, and it reminds me of the people who held the spell before me. And he unveils his his version of the title, which I don't have an issue with, his version of the title it's literally the same plates with a new strap that's objectively fine i don't i don't have an issue with it i don't necessarily think it's a custom title for him because the title is the same it's not like the spinner belt it's not like um stone cold skull title it's the same title different belt i don't have a problem with a different belt that's fine but i do have a problem with him throwing the old title belt um and it's it's similar and not similar to Naito throwing around the intercontinental title for all those years in new Japan. I, I don't like that. It, he kind of disrespected the world title like that. I, I get that the motif of his character, it fits perfectly. Yeah. I think that they could have done a much better job of explaining his intentions behind wanting his own title with the Burberry strap and utilizing his character without throwing the title belt on the ground. Uh, you know,
2: like you said, it fits perfectly for him. I think the more concerning part of this, and I don't fully agree with it, but I do feel like with MJF you get a lot of WWE-style stuff. And I feel like the nice thing about AEW is that it's not WWE. And to sometimes you can do the sports entertainment bullshit and it works. And sometimes, you know, you can do in a non-WWE uh, sports entertainment company some sports entertainment shit and it doesn't work and i feel like this was kind of closer to the latter than not um again i i overall i thought this segment was fine it wasn't his best promo or anything the regal stuff is really what made it memorable and great you, i think it's perfectly reasonable to hate that they did the the uh the special custom belt thing because that did feel quite wwe
1: but yeah, but here's the thing you're going to have things that relate to WWE. It's inevitable. They've been in the business for decades upon decades. They have been the main source of oh, yeah. professional wrestling for for the most, most of the last 25 years. I don't have a problem with doing stuff that WWE's has done. It's going to happen. Like, I, I just think this is different from those other title belts because it's literally changing a strap, right? It, it's only a strap. It's not even changing the actual physical title. I, I, I just wish that he wouldn't have thrown the original belt. that's that's the only real gripe I have here.
2: i I don't have strong feelings about the single and uh but again before the regal stuff in any real way. I feel like it kind of maybe went a bit too long, but you know, otherwise this was generally like good, pretty good, not great. and uh not the best mjf stuff,
1: but not the worst, probably. Yeah, this, this felt like um, not quite um, his best work. But at the end, he turns on William Regal. Again, we talked about it at the, at the top of the show, fitting with the motif that he uses people to get what he wants. Um, he's uh, MJF finishes off the promo. You said I had much to learn, but you made a deal with the devil. Brian Danielson sprints out to the ring to check on William Regal. Regal gets stretched out, and Danielson goes with him. I'll be honest. I think they just set up the Revolution title match. I think it's they're going yeah. to build up to Brian Danielson and MJF, and I think that's going to be tremendous. Um, two excellent in-ring workers, and they can build up a match. I think this this could be their most successful Revolution.
2: Uh, I th- I think this could be a uh, a great build uh, to a match between the two, um, and I would love to see Danielson finally get actually used in like a real main event spot for a pay per view because. Mm-hmm. I think he's been slightly uh I, I think he could reach higher in AEW. I, I'm a little surprised by how he's been slotted as kind of a secondary guy. Uh when I feel like he came in uh coming off of maybe being the second or third highest guy in WWE, and then in AEW he's slotted as like maybe the fifth highest guy. That that's kind of surprising to me, but I think it hasn't really damaged him. He's kind of a made guy at this point. He could have fe- he could have spent six months feuding with Serpentico, and uh, I think he still had would have had enough credibility where you could have put him into the, this spot immediately. Uh, a couple of small things. One from this segment. Uh, two things I like from the segment. One Brian Danielson running in with uh, just the boot, like one boot. That was a good nice touch. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And, and to MJF uh, mm-hmm. concluding his promo by standing over uh standing over Regal and uh turning the whole email thing on him. That was a very nice touch and I like that a lot. Um, basically taking what Regal had previously wrote to him and turning it on uh on Regal himself was mm-hmm. a extremely petty thing that is extremely MJF. Uh two small things uh one um I really liked uh before this there was the powerhouse hob segment where it was just him walking around Oakland and being menacing uh set up for future stuff we'll see where that goes two uh there was a uh, hook. Taz breaks down the red rum transition from his match a couple weeks ago on the I guess the pay-per-view pre-show what I really laughed at was the uh, disclaimer across the bottom of the screen of this uh, little video that it made me laugh it was a little more than just the don't try this at home thing but the fact that it was doing that over a Taz segment was I don't know I enjoyed that it was a nice little touch.
1: It, the little touches in this company are, are, to me, one of its best attributes. Uh, but let's keep moving on. Absolute Ricky Starks versus the Truth Busters, Ari Devari and Stokely Hathaway, and all you go with him, Page come out before the match. Uh, Matt Hardy comes out. He does his little delete gimmick. They send him to the back because obviously they own his contract. And uh, Page told Starks that Page was going to win, and Winter is coming, um, alluding to um, both. Uh, beating Starks for the world title, and then also the Dynamite Diamond. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to play out, but I think uh, the the thing, the stuff between Page and Starks is not over, and they're still trying to establish Ethan Page. Um, Davari ambushed Starks, but Starks uh, immediately wash him, him pretty quickly. Rochambeau, one, two, three, bada bing, bada boom. Um, it, it this segment was very functional, there. got a lot accomplished.
2: Yeah, it did stuff. Uh, it was fine. I don't think it was a right home segment at any point of time, but it was fine. So uh, then we had uh, Tony Schiavone having saying that he'll do a sit down with Jamie Hader as part of a short promo with Britt Baker and Hayter. Um And then we had Anna Jay versus Willow Nightingale. This was better than I thought it would be.
1: I thought this was fine. Um, yeah. I really like Willow. Um, I've heard a couple people mention it, and the last person I'm, I'm going to end up giving the credit to, and that's a. Uh, um uh voice of wrestling contributor Steve Case um saying that Willow Nightingale has NXT Bailey babyface energy she does I, I completely agree it's she she has that kind of it factor she has a great connection with the crowd um and she's just so bubbly in what feels like an organic way it doesn't feel forced it just feels genuine and when you have that, utilize it. And I think that she's going to get a push here soon.
2: Yeah, I thought this was, uh, I thought Willow was very good in this, particularly at uh, connecting with a crowd. I think they've got to push her more going forward to kind of take advantage of that because I, I there's sometimes with AW you'll disappear for four months and I I just really hope they don't do that with Willow Nightingale anytime soon because she needs that time to connect with the fans and to get over and then after this uh, we had the return of Ruby Soho who uh, beat down both Anna and uh, Tay and um, there was kind of a weird thing here where like Tay tried to do an elbow to. Ruby and she did some weird sell that I made note of, but I kind of forgot the details of now. And then she uh killed her with a destination unknown on the ramp.
1: So, yeah, um, really nice to see uh Ruby back and that perfect re-introdu- reintroduction of her. Um, right after this backstage, um, QT Marshall challenge for the all-ending championship, and Orange Cash is like, sure, doesn't even let him finish, does that gimmick, and then. Ut's like Lumberjack match and Ernst's like, alright, see you Friday. And yeah. bada bing, bada boom. Easy peasy. But this next segment is one of the weirder ones. You had Bow Wow on the screen oh, again. Look, Bow Wow was cool in like 2000. It's 2022. Regular size Bow Wow. <laughs> exactly. Um, Jade said she was done playing games with the baddies. Um, tells Red Velvet and Layla Gray. Either you two get in line or you can step because you two are eating off me. This entire company is eating off me. I'm the brightest star this company has. Nobody has my body, my face, my aura. I am the real deal. I am nothing but real. I create careers. A little Bow Wow is a joke, a total joke. And then you have the Bow Wow promo, which I don't remember a damn thing about other than Bow Wow was talking on my screen. and said some just kind weird. of
2: creepy stuff about creepy stuff about jade cargo and uh it felt very weird i have no idea what this could even lead to i guess maybe jade will beat up bow Wow at some point but like i don't know that i care about seeing that i in fact i don't think i do so i guess we'll see where this goes maybe they'll hook him up with someone that matters but frankly the last time they had a uh a rapper who peaked 20 years ago it was to pair up with uh mercedes Martinez. Mercedes Martinez and uh, she just got squashed basically by Jade in a Mm -hmm. complete nothing segment. So
1: yeah. Main event time Um, game three of the best of seven series between death triangle and the elite. This was awesome. Like I only gave this one four stars, uh, but they hit, they hit a lot of fun moves. They continued the hammer story um, as uh, Phoenix ended up grabbing it from Pentagon and throwing it outside the ring. um, Continuing that. And then um, you had at the end, uh, what's his name? Um, Pac uh, goes for the black arrow, and Matt Jackson raises his knees into Pac's face and just knocks him completely out. He gets a, a roll-up with a limp pack and gets the win. Um, I thought it was a really, really good way to want you protected Pac because his face is hurt. He's got that protective shield. And two, instead of it just hitting him in the midsection, giving the roll up, hit him in the face. It's already injured. And like, this was very well done. It's a two to one series lead now for death triangle. And the elite has a chance to tie it up um, next week on dynamite. The 14th, like this, this series is fun.
2: Yeah. Uh, I've liked, I liked how this started off with a hot brawl as a uh, further way to differentiate it from the two previous matches. I went four and a half stars on this. I just thought it was a blast. Uh, Pac hit a avalanche falcon arrow which was just wild and Pac is just one of the best sellers in the world and he did that again with the finish to this match uh, I just loved so many things about this and uh, again it's amazing uh, a little sarcasm there that you put six of the best wrestlers in the world together and they have just fantastic matches I mean when like Pinta is maybe the worst worker in the match and he's still like really great you know you're just going to have great stuff come out of it. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, they keep going. Everyone stays healthy.
1: Yeah. Um, and I guess overall, that's dynamite. This, this was a good dynamite. Um, yeah. Kind of uh, talking about um, that kind of stuff outside of dynamite. Let's talk, or before we do that, let's talk about next week's dynamite. Um, we have. Uh, FTR versus the Acclaim for the AEW World Tag Team titles. Um, dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. Jake Hager and Daniel Garcia versus Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta. Cargill and the Baddies versus Madison Rain, Sky Blue, and Kiera Hogan, which we know Kiara was kicked out of the Baddies um, on the Thanksgiving edition of Dynamite. And Darby Allin versus Samoa Joe for the TNT title. I think this could be a fun Dynamite.
2: And I, I think the Starks MJF matches this week too, right? Nope, next
1: week, winners coming. Next week. Okay, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then ROH final battle, which we will review here next week. Um, Claudio Castagnoli versus Chris Jericho for the ROH world title. And if Claudio loses, he joins the Jericho Appreciation Society. Daniel Garcia versus Wheeler Yuta for the ROH beer title. And Juice Robinson versus Samojo for the ROH TV title. That's a pretty good trio of matches. And hopefully we get something from. Uh, FTR as well.
2: Yeah, I am kind of surprised we haven't had an FTR match announced for this card yet. Um, hopefully
1: we will get that soon. Yeah. Um, let's see here. We have um, uh, Jade Cargos on AEW, which um, I did not watch, but I think most importantly we get a tease of House is Black versus the Elite feud on Being the Elite. I don't know how seriously we can take that as of now, but I think it's noteworthy. And I think House of Black versus the Elite, those matches would be, be great. tremendous. Like, I who, who, give me all the spooky stuff if you want, if you give me a bunch of great trios matches with those two. Like, yeah, I'll deal with the spooky. That's fine. Uh, specifically, this
2: segment of the show was uh, Cutler taping the lumberjack match. And then, uh, you know, after the match, of course, the, uh, the, uh, House of Black killed everyone and part of that was them going up to Cutler who tried to beg off but they killed him, put him through a table and Alistair Black leaned over and on camera said, hey, this is uh, this isn't anything personal but you've been hanging out with the wrong people and we're sending a message to them." So uh, unless this is just completely one-off, it feels like this is setting up an eventual feud between the two groups and that'll be pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fred, anything, uh, from you to close the show out here tonight? I know, um, one thing that's fun coming from voices of wrestling is secret Santa. And we, we got our secret Santa matches and we both got death matches. Um,
2: yeah, I'm going to keep mine in pocket until, uh, next, you know, until I actually write about it, which hopefully will be today. But, um. There's uh, this was a very it'll be very interesting because I'm not much of a deathmatch guy, but like I, I am finding out that I enjoy the well done deathmatches and hopefully uh, this will be one. of them.
1: So here's how I view deathmatches. Is it a good wrestling match that it has deathmatch rules or is it guys hitting each other with shit because they're hitting each other with shit? Like you're going to have the deathmatch spots where they smash themselves with light tubes. OK, fine. But is it a good wrestling match? And that to me is the good, um, the good designator if it's a good death match or not. Like um, Takeda versus uh, Kodaka from uh, 2018, the death match that everybody raved about. That was my number seven match of the year. I loved um, Takeda Kodaka, and that's that match. I still, I still have a copy of it, and I watch it every now and then because it's it's a great wrestling match that has death match elements, and I think that that's the key differentiator for me.
2: Yeah, I like, uh, I have yet to actually watch it, but June Kasai, Desperado, this match would be one. Uh, The tag match they had to set it up was, I thought, also excellent with uh, Kasai teaming with, uh, man, I actually, I'm going to forget who it was. Um, I think it was Desperado and uh, Doki and uh, Kasai, and uh, I think it was uh, Hanma. Yeah, I think it was Hanma. Yeah, that was a great match to you, so.
1: Um, uh, I won't uh, give what my match was, but I will give a little hint. Uh, It was one of the matches that Mox recommended in his book. So uh, if you want to go and find that you're more than welcome to, otherwise you can wait for my review and the match is on YouTube. So, um, I think Fred, that is all we have here for today.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, real quick plug, uh, just something I watched before the show, uh, in AW a couple weeks ago, they did a uh, match between Vakingo you know, vikingo and Laredo kid that was excellent. So, I'll just plug that real quick because I really enjoyed that. You can find it if you, uh, you know, look in the right places. So,
1: mm-hmm. it is readily available, and I will be watching that here soon because I love me some vikingo. Um, if you want to wait,
2: it'll be on the AAA YouTube channel in a couple weeks, probably. So,
1: yep. Um, you can email us at hungrypot at gmail.com. Um, Our Twitter is at GoodBadHungi. You can find me on Twitter at TheRealForno. You can find um, Fred on Twitter at FlagrantRasslin, and that is just like Ted Turner's WCW Rasslin. You can ask us questions on any of those platforms and also in our channel on the Voice of Wrestling Discord server. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast um, to help us grow. Um, Last week, we were number 60 in the UK, and we want to improve on that. We want to be number 59 and subscribing rating and review will help all of that um and then just uh, feel free to ask us any questions we will answer them on the show otherwise fred if all else fails enjoy your week and we will see you after final battle
2: all right see you all next week have a good
0: one and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Craich and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes.